Welcome to Indie Dotes, the podcast that shares the stories of independent creators. I'm your host, Susan Bond. Today on the show, I have Lara Hogan, who is the author of Demystifying Public Speaking and was recently the Vice President of Engineering at Kickstarter. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So excited. I, I, I went into your DMs and said, I hope you'll come on the show and I hoped you wouldn't block me and thank God you didn't. <laughs> no, I'm um, very excited. Because I was super excited. I, I, I love the work that you've been doing. Um, and I guess I want to start our show. I mean, there's so many things we can talk about, but I want to start really focusing on, you've written several books, correct? Yeah, that's right. Three now. Okay. What are the other books? <laughs> mm-hmm. So the first one was... Um, Designing for performance. Yep. So that was all about like front end page load time. The second one was building a device lab. So, you know, if you've got a team of product and engineering, you know, workers, how do you help them test on mobile? And then the most recent one was demystifying public speaking. So, like, you, you like to write books. I really love writing books. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm super weirdo that way. Yeah. And were they all like, what was the publishing background of all of those? So for the first one, um, I published with O'Reilly. So it was really important to me to have an O'Reilly animal. It felt like that was a... The, an oh. achievement, you know, in my technical career. Yeah. Um, what animal and, did you get? Oh, I got a tufted coquette hummingbird. Oh, I love hummingbirds. They're beautiful. Okay. Well, I didn't realize this. You're not allowed to pick your own animal. Right. They pick They pick it for you. Yeah. So it's like you want one, but then you're like, I hope I get a good one and whatever you think a good one is. Totally. I really wanted a sloth because I felt uh. like, you know, sloths are slow and that would be hilarious for the book cover uh, about a book about performance. Um, but no, but the hummingbird is really cool. Okay, got it. Okay, so okay, so anyway, I'm sorry. So you wanted to write an O'Reilly <laughs> book, and you wanted to get an animal, and you got the tu- uh, some sort of tufted hummingbird. Yes, yeah, and actually, the way that that came about, I had never written anything of length before, um, and I happened to be sitting at a lunch table, like a birds of a feather table at a conference, an O'Reilly conference, and I was seated next to an editor for O'Reilly, and I was like, hey, I have this book idea. And that was it. It was just like she helped me <laughs> write the book wow. proposal. She was my editor for a really brief amount of time. It was really rad. So, yeah, so O'Reilly was number one. The second one was with a publisher who is sadly no longer around called Five Simple Steps. They wrote these really cute, mm. uh, po- like, pocket-sized books. Um, and that came out of, like, a, a presentation I gave with my partner in crime, Destiny Montague. We'd given a ton of tutorials on building device labs together, and it felt natural to kind of write a book. And then the most recent one is A Book Apart, whom I have really enjoyed working with. Yeah, what's A Book Apart? I'm not very familiar. So there's that multi-armed uh, company. So it's an event apart. So um, there's a bunch of speakers at a conference that they have throughout the United States. There is A List Apart, which is their magazine. And then A Book Apart is the publishing arm. And how did you get in connection, you know, in touch with them? <laughs> I met the executive director at the conference XOXO. <laughs> oh my gosh! Ago. Yeah, we were um, I just love like XOXO. hanging out. Right? Such a great conference. It's I miss wonderful. It. R.I.P. XOXO. Uh, and so yeah, I met Cattell and her husband, um, and we got to chatting, and she was just like one of the coolest women in tech I've ever met, and it felt like super natural to talk to them about writing any future books. <laughs> and then when they, yeah, we, we landed on public speaking. Well, I love that. Uh, it sounds like conferences mm. has been like a big uh, career asset for you where you've been able to publish books, or, you know, get yeah. publishers and things like that. 
totally. It's like the hallway track. You know, you go to yeah. learn a bunch of stuff that you can, you know, make real in your work life the next day after you finish attending the conference. But the value for me has definitely also come from that hallway track. Oh, I think conferences is where I have almost every single piece of business mm. that I've got. Like, I can track it back to that. I mean, other things as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but because the work I do is so human-centered. Yeah. Um, that conferences is everything for me. Like I, that's a budget that I will never cut because it, I, and I love it. I love the, the synchronicity Mm. that happens like for you, it sounds like there's some synchronicity that happened. Yeah. And not just for like work stuff, right. But for your general support network, I met, um, I was at Webstock this past year and I met this woman, Sasha Judd, who I'd seen all of her work online before, but I'd never met her in person. And I just, can't stop talking to her like she has become a great support network for me Mm. I don't know where I would be if I hadn't met so many rad people at conferences yeah I completely agree I I just love that it sounds like almost all of yours well at least two of the books really came out of conference experiences yeah definitely I mean all three really so the the middle one we had given the talk so much at conferences it ended up feeling like we had all the right words we just had to like write them down Right? Yeah, there you go. Okay, so back to demystifying public speaking. So, uh, you know, you and Book Apart, you kind of said, you you know, how did you land on that topic? I had actually sent them a couple of different topics. Uh, a number of them are still in my back pocket with them for whenever I get some more spare time <laughs> to write another book. Um, but that was the one that we landed on is like something that hadn't been written for their audience before. Um, and something that I was really, really excited about kind of giving back into the world. I I gravitated towards public speaking because I had been doing so much conference speaking for so many years at that point. And I realized I had accumulated all of these tips and tricks, not that I had developed. I mean, I'm never the smartest person in the room, but from other more experienced speakers who were teaching me things here and there. And at the time also, a lot was was being written about and, and spoken about, about the lack of safety and inclusivity in conferences. So I really wanted to write something that wasn't like written just for white male people who wanted to speak, but rather for people who maybe, you know, members of underrepresented groups, especially in tech, for whom getting up on stage is like an extremely risky thing to do. Mm, got it. So did you guys come to that pretty quickly? It sounds like the topic. Yeah, I was able to workshop it with them to make sure it was an angle that would resonate with their particular audience of, you know, mostly front-end developers, designers, content strategists, you know, that that area of technology. Well, so this is, I kind of want to go back to that first uh, book with O'Reilly. When you wrote the first book and how it compares to today, when you wrote that first book with O'Reilly, did you, were you trying to set out, like, you said you hadn't written anything big before. Was it over daunting to write that first book? <laughs> I was like, just not sure if I was going to be able to do it well. Like, you know, it was like an unknown. It wasn't, um, it wasn't scary. It was like, cool, maybe this will go horribly wrong. And that's interesting. You know, like I'll learn mm. something about myself. <laughs> um, and I had, you know, I'd spoke to a lot of authors before I got started to ask them what their process was and if they had any suggestions or tips and tricks. And almost all of them said, you know, it is a stressful experience. Uh, almost everybody gave the advice of like, write every single day. And I didn't take that advice, and I'm really glad that I didn't take that advice because my process ended up being really different and really fulfilling anyway. Oh, wait. Okay, we need to talk about this process. <laughs> well, because that, because as a writer, people say that all the time. Write every day. Write 1,000 words. And I'm not like that. I mean, yeah. I can't. It just isn't. 
I don't write that way. It doesn't make sense to me. And I've found a way to be successful with it too. So what, how did you figure out your path for what your writing process looked like? Yeah. And like, I want to make sure I'm not like knocking it. It's, of course. it's totally something that works for many, many people. It just right. does not work for me. <laughs> exactly. It's like on this show, we talk a lot about there's like, there's so many different paths. There's not yeah. just one right way. And I think it actually works well, really well for some people and not for others. Yeah. 100%. So for me, I wrote, um, when it felt like I had that energy and that interest in writing. So it was often on a weekend, usually like a weekend morning, um, or like a full day, maybe I would put six to eight hours in. Um, and I would just kind of like go hard at uh, a topic I was really excited about. I had a, an outline already and most of the outline came from my experience giving talks on the subject. So I had a really well fleshed out, um, overarching narrative structure, how I needed to like deliver my arguments and support them with data. And I just had to, you know, get it all on paper. So the hardest part was just sitting down and cranking it out and then doing that supportive research to make sure that what I was saying was actually correct. Mm, right. um, so usually it was, you know, I would sit down, I would write a whole bunch for two to three hours. I would go back through, start to edit it. And then I, I actually um, leveraged a lot of O'Reilly's tools that allowed it to be a much more social experience. So at the time I was writing, I don't know what their tool set is these days, but when I was writing, they had a tool called Atlas that allowed you to share your in-progress writing with your team of like technical reviewers or friends who were mm. helping you edit, which made it for me a super social experience. And that was um, way more fulfilling for me than doing it just on my own. So I'd start it, I would get a full draft of a chapter. I would send it out to a few people whom I trusted and they'd be able to write back with some like edits or comments or thoughts or feedback. Got it. And did you, so did you, did you write an entire draft of a chapter or did you work on chapters at a different time? Like, Yeah, I, I kind of bounced around when it felt like I was nearing the end of one. So maybe at any given time I had like one fully drafted and was getting feedback, one almost done and one I was just starting to kind of research. Mm, okay, got it. So you, 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 it sounds like you had a, pr a pretty good process, at least for yourself. I love being able to check stuff off a list. You know, so for me, it was about uh, when can I have that next donut that says I finished chapter. <laughs> I know it's so funny this weekend too. <laughs> I'm a list maker too, and it, you know, it's like make the list and then oh wait, I just did that. Let's add that to the list and then check it off. Uh huh. Um, exactly. I'm exactly. that person. I love lists. It feels so good. You know, it feels so good. That list. check <laughs> it off. And how long about maybe would it take you to finish a chapter? That's a good question. I, I wrote up a blog post um, a while back that kind of quantified the amount of time and the time of day and all. I was, I'm a very, um, I really love that kind of like analytical part of like assessing. It's a quantified self thing. Right. Um, and it really varied. All told, I actually didn't write for that long. I'm, I was really lucky to be a very quick writer. I studied philosophy in undergrad, which meant that I got a mm. lot of practice writing uh, a lot of things super quickly and also super succinctly. So the book ended up being like 140 some odd pages, but it, it took me, you know, less than six months all told to write it. Okay, great. And we'll make sure to link to that blog post oh, cool. um, and the, in the show notes so that people can, cause I'm, I'm kind of nerdly like that too. I want it to be, I want it to be quantified. <laughs> yeah, totally. You know, and I mean. Git commits really help with that. So the whole book was authored. They, they provide like a little Git repo for you to push to. Um, yep. So it brings it pretty easy to track. Yeah, that, 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 that's great. So, okay. So let's, you know, move forward to, you know, demystifying um, public speaking 
Was there anything different about this process or, or by the time you started with this, did it feel like, you know, you kind of had a process down as a, as a, as an author? You know, it was funny. I, <laughs> for the first two books, I gave so many, I mean, hours and hours and hours of talks before mm. I ended up making, writing the, the book, which meant that I'd already kind of workshopped my narrative and, and workshop. I knew what questions people usually asked during Q and A so I could, you know, make sure I answered them in the book. Um, it was totally different with the third book. I had given no talks about public speaking <laughs> by the time I wrote oh, that wow. book. So it was a, it was almost like a, um, it wasn't quite starting from scratch. I mean, I had, I knew, I knew my best hours to write. I knew what kind of space I needed, but I didn't, I didn't have a strong editorial sense of it going in, unlike I did with the first two books, which was really hard. Yeah. I mean, so how did you... You had an outline, though. I had an outline, which didn't work when I started writing the book. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, we have to hear more about this, because that's yeah. what happens. I mean, it sounds like the first two ones, you'd had so much more, uh, it, it, it had flowed in, so maybe the outlines had already been a little bit more fleshed out, just given the nature, and now this one was a little bit different. Yeah, it's almost like the first two I had proven out, you know. Right. Um, this next one, I failed and iterated, but while I was writing the book, which is very, very different. It's like, when does the failure and iteration happen? I right, mean, it happens right. at different phases. Yeah. Okay, got it. Yeah, so thankfully I had a really strong editor for this book. So the first two books I had, you know, people were helping with editing, with O'Reilly especially, had actually assigned me an editor. But I didn't get a lot of feedback, and I didn't get a lot of, um, like, suggestions for changes with the first two book books. But this, the third book, oh, I got so much great feedback. And it was hard, right? It was, like, not easy to swallow feedback, but it made the book significantly better than it would have been if we had just gone with my first draft. <laughs> right. Well, and at what point in the process did you feel, did you realize that the outline you had created wasn't going to work? I had a, I had a pretty good sense that um, there was like a big chance that the way that I had structured it initially wasn't going to land well, but I didn't really know until I sent in effectively the first full draft. Oh, wow. Yeah. So the editor <laughs> looked at it and was like, mm hmm okay. We can work with this. <laughs> yeah, and so okay, so now I'm gonna ask like those hard questions. Yeah. Like how how much feedback did they have? A ton. And it was a really helpful. There were some chunks that felt a lot closer to what they should end up being, which meant that she was able to go in and add more um, paragraph by paragraph feedback. But for a couple of the chapters they just didn't work. So it was like, cool, I need you to rewrite this whole thing and here's the new angle to take. Was it like the the book wasn't hanging together well? Like some of those chapters, did they just feel like outliers? I think or? they assumed a lot about the audience. Because really initially ah. I was writing it from my point of view and my experience, which meant like it made sense to me. Right. <laughs> but right. that's the beauty of an editor is they can they actually have all of this empathy and understanding for what a diverse group of people are going to need from your book and the questions that they might ask and the things that you should proactively, uh, you know, kind of be addressing with it. Got it. So maybe, you know, it sounds like the editor helped you think more deeply about audience and step outside your experience totally. in order to round out and really um, aim towards the audience that you that the book wanted to reach. Yeah. And like give them the information that it that felt obvious to me, like not worth including, but stuff that was probably pretty, um, pretty important and pretty uh, helpful for people who are just starting out public speaking. Could you remember any of the things that that might be? Oh gosh! So, like for example, I um, I've done a lot of uh, like editing abstracts for people, and like I was on a couple of like conference review panels, which meant 
a lot of those things felt obvious to me, like what makes a good abstract? Uh, it's not obvious to everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, right. The different kinds of conferences that, you know, multi-track versus single track versus, like a lot of that stuff that just, if you've been speaking for a while, come inherently. Um, but otherwise it's like really, it was a book. You have the time and the space. Why not describe it all? When I kind of like talk through the differences, the trade-offs, the approaches that someone might take, even when it feels obvious to you as the author. Right. So it sounds like the, uh, that external perspective, once they were able to say, well, talk about this, talk about that, mm-hmm. talk, what about this? You were able to then fill out more of that content and write about it, you know, once you kind of had some ideas of like, oh, what's, what's missing? Totally. Yeah. One of the interesting parts, too, is a lot has already been written on public speaking, which right. meant I had to, you know, I wasn't. I wasn't super concerned about repeating other people's stuff, but I was concerned about whether or not there was going to be gaps in what I was writing. So, for example, mm. I really didn't want to talk. I didn't want a book about what makes a presentation good. I wanted to make, write a book about, like, how to overcome that fear and get up on stage. And, like, when you hear public speaking book, you probably are thinking this book will help me make a good presentation. But it, my book definitely does not want to do that. My book... Uh, is about overcoming a lot of the challenges and obstacles that, especially someone who doesn't have the confidence or the privilege of someone who's white, someone who's male, in getting on stage. A lot of the existing materials that are out there kind of assume you're ready to get on stage and you just need to like better yourself or better your content or better your uh, style. This book isn't about that. There's, I, didn't, I didn't want to like cover that ground. I really wanted to, do, to provide something new. Yeah, I mean, you know, and it's a really good point because there's a lot of people who might want to get on stage or maybe who, I'm, I'm doing air quotes, should get on stage, meaning like it could be a good career as that they've got some of the capabilities, but they have never done it or totally. they're scared or they feel, um, like I know for me, because I'm I'm software developer adjacent, um, you know, <laughs> I, I, I'm not a software developer, but I, I speak a you know, I go to tech conferences and I think one of my big things at speaking at conferences is feeling like, well, do I fit here? Do I belong? Right. Totally. And for so many of us, it's risky to get up on stage. I mean, the amount of harassment, the amount of um, gross questions you'll get surprised by during Q&A, the amount of gendered feedback, racist feedback that you might get, you know, it's, it really compounds, especially in, you know, we're, we're reading all of these stories about the kinds of things that really are true for so many people out there. Um, and I wanted to write something that helped keep people safe and help get pe- help people uh, deal with those kinds of challenges that are unique to members of underrepresented groups in tech. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is different. I feel like there are so many books about speaking out there. There just are. <laughs> There's so many. Right. But I, 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 you're right. I can't think of another book that has this lens to it and when you when you came up with the topic did you know that that was the angle yeah it was important to me to write something specifically for this audience because I felt like there's not enough out there that um that provides this lens and my my whole career is built around helping people and keeping them safe and I wanted to make sure I added something added when I added my voice it was worth it in this way yeah that 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 makes a, a that makes a ton of sense so going back to the editor, so you, you finished your first draft. About how long did it take you to finish your first draft before you got the red lines? I was going through a breakup at the time, so I had a lot of time on my hands, and I went to a cabin in the woods where my friends were living. They have like a, they had like a spare guest house out the back. And I sat there for a week around like a New Year's Christmas time in the snow in a cabin and just cranked it out in like 
genuinely the the bulk of it I wrote in about seven days. Wow, how many <laughs> about how many pages? Oh, I don't. It's so it's so hard to tell when it's like uh, I would guess probably. 120 130 pages yeah that I mean that's a that's a good clip I mean that's like such a little writer's fantasy I think that we all have (laughs) I mean I remember I did that once I was gonna go write a book and I went but I went to the coast of California and there were hummingbirds everywhere and I was looking out out the coast of California like out of the coast and and just holed up for a week and it was actually quite lovely amazing no snow but lots of hummingbirds (laughs) your hummingbirds with me were with me yeah nice (laughs) nice So you did it about in a week, and then you get this feedback. Yeah. And, I mean, were you really, like, were you, like, crushed, or were you kind of (laughs) expecting it, right? I was definitely, how do I put this, like, I was frustrated that I, with myself, right, that I hadn't done um, a great job out of the gate. I was frustrated that, like, after having written two relatively successful books, on the third one, I just kind of was like, oh, I missed the mark, you know? I think that probably it took me some soul search, like a week of soul searching to be like, nope, this feedback, the, the fact that this feedback hurts means I should listen to it, you know? And yeah. again, like, the way that she wrote it was not at all hurtful. It's like, but my internal dialogue was like, Ugh, I know if this feels uncomfortable, that means I probably need to do it. <laughs> well, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I know that feeling. Was it just that you felt like you, what, why were you so uncomfortable? Was because you felt like you missed the mark and you were disappointed that you missed the mark? I think it or... was, it was partly, yeah, it was definitely partly that. And partly like, oh, okay, there's a lot more work ahead. And I don't know how much work this is. Ah, got it, got it, got it. So, like, because I think you, like, you turn in a first draft and you feel so damn good. You're like, mm-hmm. I got this thing to look like something that resembles a book. <laughs> exactly. Right? Or, like, exactly. me with, like, an article. Like, it resembles an article. I'm always, like, banging my way through to get the first draft of something done. Even right. If it's, even if it's a little ugly, I'm like, I got the first one done. And then what, I think it's easy for us to go, like, oh, yeah, I'm over the hump, when, in fact, sometimes it's mm-hmm. really just the beginning. Exactly. That's exactly. It was, like, it was almost like that surprise of dread. yeah and that's silly right because like I enjoy writing books it was more like um oh I really had already checked this off in my brain and now I definitely need to revisit it and put a lot more work in which was again wonderful once I got past that like week of like ugh all right right like I thought I was further along than I am yeah exactly damn it did that happen with the other two books or no? No. No, I also think I didn't have as much editorial overhead as in, in those two right. books, you know. Like, they, they're they mostly, you're pretty autonomous as an author with both of those publishers. So uh, right. I think the books probably would, would have been a lot better had I had an editor with the same amount of, like, hands-on work with those two books. Yeah, that can make a difference. Well, and yeah. also the other difference is that you had really workshopped those other two books totally m- more before, like, this one was different. Yeah. So, okay, so you took a week to sort of lick your wounds and mm-hmm. be like, okay, I have to get out of denial and I have to get back to the book. Let's do this. Yeah, right, totally. Let's, <laughs> let's do this. I can, I can totally do this. I'm ready to relook at this. Like, how long had it been since – you turned it in and got, like did the was the feedback time pretty quickly or no? No, it was probably about a month before I got the got the full amount of like the full realization of what was coming next. <laughs> yeah, which is like good and bad because you know you're like a little bit like that's enough time to like kind of be thinking about other things. Yeah, totally. And then and and what I know is writing drafts of books takes 
a ton of energy. Yeah, absolutely. It really, and you have to be pretty focused on it. Yeah, and it, when, it, when you think about it, because I did the cabin in the woods thing, it was over, you know, holiday break, which meant that I was back at work, you know. I was, right. like, back in the groove. Um, and it's not like I didn't have free weekends and things. But, again, I was, like, recovering from a breakup, and it was in a very different emotional place uh, than I was with the other two books. Right, right. And, and your day job was what? I was the director of engineering at Etsy. Got it. Yeah. So you're, you know, if you're the director of engineering, you got people. Yeah. And for all the books, I didn't spend time writing them at work. I wrote them in the evenings and on weekends and, you know, taking some vacation days to, to crank them out. Um, so I, I wanted to make sure I continued to do the same thing. I didn't want to write it while at work because I had a whole organization of people who I needed to spend my, my energy on. Right, right. Because how many folks were you, did, were you, you know, managing? Oh, gosh. That, at that time, it was between, like, 30 and 70, depending upon the month and what was oh happening at the company. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of like, that's a lot of folks who need your attention. You don't have time to do that. So you had to do this on the side. Yes. Yeah. Which I think, you know, in the end, it probably took another six to eight months to get there. I was um, going to ask yeah. you, like, like, did you do six to eight months to finish the book? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that had like iterative. So I'd finish a chapter, send it into the editor, start working on the next one. Um, and then, you know, when I sent the next chapter, she had the feedback from the first chapter and onwards. So after that first draft feedback, was there any other massive, like, did you have another, like, massive feedback on any of the chapters, or was it more, like, tweaks from there? I think it really depended upon the chapter. Some of the chapters were pretty, pretty solid. Um, the one on feedback, like, how to give and receive feedback on, on presentations, I had already um, pretty much... I feel like I was really in a good spot with that, mostly because I was, I had that narrative again down pat from other work stuff and other things that I've done. Not talks necessarily, but um, I talk about how to give feedback a lot, so it felt supernatural. Uh, and a lot of the stuff about how to prepare for getting on stage physically, so how do you pick out clothes to wear, how do you write your packing list, how do you prepare for um, physically being up under the bright lights, those kinds of things, those all felt fine. Um, the ones that needed a lot more work were a lot of the... Um, how to pick a topic and how to choose a venue uh, chapters. Oh, I wonder why were those more needed more work? I think probably because I just, I just yet again was writing them from my perspective rather than understanding the much more broad, much more diverse perspectives of people who may not know any of this stuff. Got it. And so did the, was it the editor again who yep. kind of helped insert? Yeah, she was great at those prompts, you know, like answer this question for me, but, but take like three pages to do it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Don't answer this in two sentences. Right. Right. Don't phone it in here. You know, like genuinely. Right. Um, yeah. What does it look like to get invited to speak at a conference? How is that different, for example? Because um, it is different. And she's right. You know, like I should be talking about like uh, not just what does it feel like to apply, but also what what changes when you start getting like how much do you charge? Like all of those things that like I kind of had avoided or skirted. I mean, both because I, it hadn't occurred to me, but also it hadn't occurred to me because so much else has been written on it in blog posts. So I ended up doing a blend of a little bit of my own writing on it, but then a ton of research on like linking to other places that have done a much more thorough, much more well-researched job on this stuff. I didn't want to like reinvent the wheel there. I wanted to give props to especially the people of color authors and the women authors who were out there already writing about this stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that because there is a lot of differences. I mean, 
uh, I help manage someone's business and I know they, they, they came to me like, I don't know how much to charge for a talk. They get invited to ask. They don't go through CFPs anymore. They're doing quite well in their career and they had no idea what to charge. Yeah. I feel like that's those are all important questions and hard ones that we think like, oh, wow, you got invited. That's great. No problems. Uh, no, actually. <laughs> It gets real hard, especially, for example, if you work for a company uh, and they're paying you full-time salary, there might be some rules at your company that say you're not allowed to take an honorarium for speaking because they're, they're paying you a salary. There's tons right. of weirdness. Well, right, and I don't even know, you probably don't cover this because it's like super detailed, but even you know, uh, going to other countries. Yeah. And then what does this have to do with visas? Yeah. And can you get in or I mean, I remember somebody on Twitter couldn't get, I won't say her name, but she couldn't get into the country because she was honest yeah. and they said, oh, she was a paid speaker. I mean, basically they paid her like a hundred dollars, right. um, you know, to pay for like her food. And because she didn't, she said that truth, she wasn't allowed into the country and couldn't go give the talk. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. So much of this stuff on Twitter, um, is relevant to the stuff I read about in the book because like all, I mean, she's amazing and she did everything. You would think that she did everything right. And right. yet she there's been so much fallout from that. It's, it really is hard to watch these extremely talented people um, get out there and be penalized for public speaking. Right, right. And I think that the, those are the things that we don't know. Um, and that, that's really valuable for folks, right? Yeah. Because when you're when you're been invited to speak, that's kind of a big deal if you can't make it. Or if you're having a hard time because you didn't ask for the right amount of money and you're now struggling to pay your bills or whatever. Right, right? totally. Because like, it gets you off track. Yeah, precisely. Right. I'm making up what I think you might talk about in these chapters. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of it is super tactical. I try to write extremely tactical books that people can like decide what stuff feels right for them. And I also try to include a lot of tactics that other people use that I might not necessarily find valuable to me because we're all so different. And the book, I really right. tried to like celebrate our differences and how everybody has different fears. I Well, so before I started writing the book, I put out a survey on Twitter and I asked uh, for people to write in what, you know, I personally am afraid of tripping and falling, getting up on stage, but I realized that that's not everybody's public, public speaking fear. So I put out the survey, I got more than 300 responses and they ran the spectrum. People are afraid of like their fly being down. They're afraid of like, you know, you know, sweating, overtly sweating or forgetting their words. They're afraid of being judged. They're afraid of, um, you know, getting a question they can't, begin to handle about getting harassed on stage. So I really wanted to write a book that both addressed this huge spectrum of fears and the huge diversity of strengths that people were bringing to the stage to help overcome those fears. Well, yeah, because if, have you seen um, Speaker Confessions, yeah. that hashtag, which yeah. is so great, it's amazing. right? And, you know, you realize that a lot of these folks are really experienced and there is such a broader range of fear. Like, I'm not afraid of falling because I fall all the time and I just get up and go, ta-da! <laughs> like, I already have, like, a, a path for that. Like, tripping and falling it does not bother me. It makes me laugh. <laughs> but I have other fears. And so that's great that you sort of crowdsource that information to make sure that you were dealing with all of the different fears people might have. Yeah, I'm hoping it's helpful to folks. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it is. It's like in a way you simulated those cute, the Q and A's that you did for the other books, mm -hmm. right? That from mm -hmm. doing all those talks, you can simulate that by doing a, you know, a survey on Twitter. Yeah. And that's amazing. You had 350 some, you said people. Yeah, it was a lot. It was great. It was, I mean, truly the gamut things I was surprised people are afraid of, but it makes sense. We're all super different. A ab absolutely. 
So you you send um, after you know you, you spend your nice little time in the woods and then yeah and then you've spent a month you know you know kind of getting the feedback and then going okay I'm ready in six to eight months before it was ready so then kind of what happens at, for folks who don't know what happens after you turn the book into your editor <laughs> yeah. you know, like people it's like a black box totally right? totally so um, there's a couple of different stages that happen one is the proofreading stage which is one of the most for me, painful experiences, not because proofreading is hard, but because when you get it back from the proofreader, there are thousands of edits in your book and they're all red. <laughs> Lots of red marks yeah. for those of us who are like a school exactly, one is the gold star. Exactly, exactly, which is, you know, great. You just accept them all and it's fine. Um, but then actually the, the next hardest stage was, was naming it, naming the book. I didn't have a good name. Oh, wow. So you hadn't named it before. No. And I was really, um, the publisher was phenomenal with me, uh, but like we couldn't really like land on something that felt like it both um, represented what the book was about and uh, like got people interested in it. Like I had a bunch of really boring names like Getting Comfortable Public Speaking and the publisher rightly was like, no, <laughs> it's boring. <laughs> Um, but I wasn't comfortable. I I wasn't comfortable with things like the public speaking handbook because again I didn't want it. I didn't want it to be misconstrued as this yeah. will help you get better at public speaking. It's this will help you, you know, actually feel safe getting on stage. It's yeah. It's the things surrounding yeah. the public speaking. Yeah. So it actually came down to the copy editor. The copy editor, her, she's amazing, Lisa Maria Martin, and she she uh, had written a great note about the book about how it really demystifies things um, for the readers. And I pinged her on Slack and I was like, hey, Lisa, uh, you said like, you said this word. Do you think that could be like the book title? And so we kind of like hammered on it and then I sent it into the publisher and that was it, demystifying public speaking. Wow. Thank goodness for LMM. <laughs> She's amazing. I mean, an editor is critical. Yeah, yeah. Critical because they can, they and they can see like, the themes and overall and they're 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 in it but they're also not the person who wrote it so they can have a little bit of perspective totally and so it, she it was great because it wasn't me like you said who just wrote it and was like heavily invested in it and it wasn't my actual editor right who also was invested in it we were both right. too close to it so it really took lisa <laughs> to come yeah. from a fresh perspective and seeing just the finished product um to kind of reflect on it yeah, and, and for folks who have not written a book, can can you talk a little bit about the difference between your editor and the copy editor so that folks understand the difference? Yeah, definitely. So my, my editor, editor, I'm sure she has an actual title that I'm neglecting to remember, <laughs> um, but she helped me with, I mean, kind of like end-to-end uh, themes. She helped me understand the audience's point of view. She gave me tons of feedback on narrative, on supporting arguments, on what stuff was unnecessary to cover and what stuff was I shouldn't include. Uh, the copy editor is much more fine-grained, so it's less about um, what is the, you know, what's the kind of content you should include, and much more like, cool, this sentence doesn't make sense. Did you make up that idiom? Right, <laughs> or right, like, right. this header doesn't actually describe what this paragraph is about. So it's, it's much more uh, lower level stuff. Right, it's like really too many commas, yeah. not enough commas, this semicolon, <laughs> like all those really, really pretty nitty gritty. Yeah, like uh, I kept on saying the word juicy. <laughs> 
you about did. the book. And she was like, did you say juicy too many times? Wait, how were you using the word juicy? This is awesome. About like topics, like come up with like a juicy topic title or like come up uh, with like a juicy abstract proposal. <laughs> like slash, I'm cutting out half the juicy. Yeah, just like here's another one. Can you please find another word instead of juicy for this one? <laughs> oh my God. Isn't that funny how you find your, when you write something, you, yeah. you see, start to see your ticks as a writer. Yeah, your crutches, you know? Yep. Yeah, totally. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'll say, I know one of mine is like thing, mm. you know, this thing, I say thing a lot, mm-hmm. right? Or something. And it's like, okay, do something else besides that. <laughs> I, I, I use Grammarly a lot, the, the, the application to help me run through and it'll say repetitive word, repetitive word. And it scores you too, which I don't like as a recovering perfectionist. <laughs> I don't like the scores. I'm like, it's not a hundred. <laughs> Even though I just wrote it, like I just banged through it. Right, it's right, my right. first draft. So you discovered your, some of your tics like juicy. Yeah. It's <laughs> ridiculous. Great. Yeah. great. So that's that, that's just good to tell the difference between what those two do. Yeah. yeah. Right. And generally, you know, the 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 editor, the editor, editor, mm-hmm. whatever that person is called, managing editor, editor. Yeah. You should just call them editor. They usually are earlier in the process, right? And right. the copy editor is much further along in the process near the end. Totally, yeah. And so then after you kind of get it back from that stage, you go into the next like really stressful process, which is getting it ready for print. So you, thankfully, as the author, don't have to do anything in this stage. Like, it's really on the publisher's shoulders to handle. And yet, with my first book that I wrote, I had a terrible experience in this stage. Yeah, just a lot went wrong. So after, with the first book, when I got it back from the proofreader, um, they had accidentally removed uh, a ton of stuff, a ton of subheaders, um, a ton of everything that had bullets in it, all the table headers from all the table. It was terrible. And they hadn't caught it. I had, which meant that like, it was a long stressful process of like fixing all of that. Cause it was, we were in the print stage and then the same thing happened on the back cover. They had copied and pasted someone else's bullets onto the back cover of my book. And like, again, they didn't catch it. And then they misspelled my name everywhere. It was a nightmare. Um, so you're like basically having to do really detailed looking because at this point then you're also like making sure because it yeah. feels like the process is not going smoothly. Right. So it's on me all of a sudden to, it felt like a huge burden. I actually, this is a good shout out to my mom who is also a phenomenal mm-hmm. copy editor. Mm-hmm. Um, so she, she and I both t- kind of like t- tackled every single stage of like triple checking everything um, that that publisher was sending us. Uh, but yeah, that obviously didn't happen at all with A Book Apart. A Book Apart was phenomenal and just like handled it <laughs> for me. Right. But that happens and really at the end of the day, even if it's somebody else's job, you know, as the author, you want to make sure that it gets correct and you yeah. do know your content better than anybody else. Absolutely true. Yeah. Yeah. So, right. Yeah. If they're accidentally pasting something on. Like, right. You know terrifying I could see how that yeah that's terrifying and I could see how that could slip by yeah right because they don't I mean it's not that they don't care but they certainly um they don't they're not gonna spend the time that an author is well right and they also have like volume and so they they're they they may say oh well the the copy looks good right right you know and they may not really have the time or bandwidth to stand back and say hey wait a minute (laughs) Why are we talking about data structures exactly. when her book is about right, you know, right. yeah. design? Yeah. Right? Like maybe that makes sense, but maybe it doesn't. Totally. Yeah. yeah. So thankfully with, with a book apart, um, that stage went super smoothly. I got to pick the color, the cover color. Uh, and I picked mm. like this really cool uh, cobalt blue. And uh, then that was it. Then they shipped it to me and it was in my hands. It was amazing. The, the covers are pretty simple. Yeah. Right? It's all like, a, it's, yeah, a single color. Exactly. 
Yeah, so it's a sing so it's a single color. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah. Gosh. Um, <laughs> so it's pretty easy. So the design of the cover, because that's like a whole thing that can take a lot of effort. Is I know I had a friend who wrote a memoir, and she spent we spent a lot of time giving feedback to her and trying to her and listening to her trying to work with her editor about what the cover was going to look like. Yeah, yeah, it's it can be really stressful. So how about how long did that process take with A Book Apart, like the, the print process and all that after you'd done writing? You know, it felt pretty quick there at the end. I don't remember exactly how much. It must have been like three or four weeks total, kind of end to end once I handed the full thing in. Okay. And then what's the, you know, the launch process like for you? How was that? <laughs> it was really <laughs> important to me to have a party. So I had a party for my first book. Uh, that was really fun. I kind of rented out a space in Brooklyn and uh, invited all my friends and family in. And so I did. Um, I did much the same thing for the for this book too. I, you know, found a place, invited everybody who I wanted to hang out. I brought a bunch of copies, got my hair done with a friend of mine. <laughs> it was great. Yeah. And then for me, it was a lot of, um, you know, checking to make sure that I was answering people's questions on Twitter. I was lining up a couple of art. So this was about a year ago. It was October of last year. So around that time, it was a huge push to get stuff in for the holidays. So I did a lot of, you know, writing blog posts and uh, being on podcasts and stuff like that. Yeah, and did they do a marketing plan, or was that on you, or did you guys do it together? They really did that. I mean, I, I tried to uh, provide ideas, but they're so much more qualified to do those things than I am. Um, yeah, so from on my end, it's been a lot of kind of liaising with them. Whenever I have a speaking engagement, I'll let them know, and they'll provide either books or a discount code. Um, actually, this past year, the Google's Women Tech Makers group, they want to include a copy of my book in all of the attendees' gift bags um, for all of the Women Tech Makers events uh, this year. So it was like a cool opportunity to kind of partner with my publisher and make sure that we can make that happen. Um, got it. So they, they did a ton of that work for you. Yeah, they were great. Which is, which is fantastic. Yeah, they still do. It's really nice. Yeah, that's, that's really great. So here's the question I always love to ask people who've written books, which is, did you get paid and how much? Oh, yeah. So with A Book Apart, it was 50%. So it's hard for me to know quite yet what the actual numbers will end up being because so much of it is paid out, you know, kind of like long after. Um, but yeah. So what does that mean, 50%? Oh, 50% of profits for me. Got it. So did you get anything up front? No. Yeah, I really am uncomfortable getting advances. <laughs> I, yeah, why yeah. is that? I've heard other authors say that. Why is it for you? I don't know. Well, so first, for the first, for the first book, uh, I didn't want an advance, mostly so I could negotiate a higher percentage um, of the profit. I can't remember what it was. It was like, it's probably like 25% for eBooks and something less than that, maybe 15%. I can't remember for print copies. Um, and I also want to negotiate for that contract, the ability to publish it myself for free online after a certain amount of time, after it had been published, so I can make, make the information free. So as part of the leverage, I kind of like declined in advance um, to do that. I don't know. For me, like I don't, I have a full-time job, so like I didn't need an advance. I don't know. This didn't seem, it didn't make sense in my brain <laughs> to take an advance. Got it. Yeah. And so then in, the, in this one, you got 50% of revenues. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So you uh, got 50% of the of the revenues. Was that number hard to come up with or was that the, the number like to negotiate for or did that the number that they just do and that's what you took? You know, that, I'm not actually sure what they normally do. That was the number that they offered me and it felt super fair. 
So I was like, yeah, that sounds great. I also, for that one, negotiated the, um, like, after a certain number of years, maybe two or three years, I'll be able to make the content available for free online myself. Yeah, so it sounds like you've done that at least twice in your contracts. And why is that important to you? I think the information should be free. And the stuff that I write is intentionally so it will help people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I want it to help as many people as humanly possible. Uh, so for me, that looks like making sure it's like available online in a super searchable, scannable format. Mm, got it. Yeah, that, that makes a ton of other sense. Were there any other things when you were negotiating contracts that you – thought about or that you would tell other folks to think about? Hmm. I think that it's really important to read uh, all the stuff about your rights. Make sure that you obviously own own this, this work yourself. Um, yeah. I think that a lot of people unfortunately have a tough time with that. Uh, I've talked to a, a bunch of other authors um, as they're negotiating contracts with the publishers that I've worked for before and usually I'll just forward them my contract <laughs> so that they could kind of see what my experience was like because maybe they'll be they'll theirs will be better than mine hopefully theirs is even you know more progressed than mine but um I like to make sure that everybody's getting kind of a fair shot no I mean I think it's really important I know um because I write for Fast Company I get a lot of folks coming wanting me to write for them which is really wonderful but a couple of them, there was one in particular who basically said, you, you can write for us, but here are the terms and conditions. Thankfully, they sent it in the first email, which was that I could never publish it on my sites ever. Oh. And I did not own rights. Ooh. And I was like, oh, yeah, no. no. Like, I so value it. You know, I, I was just very polite. Like, thank you so much. But that's just, I because I have policies for myself as a writer. Like, I've come up with what are my policies that make me feel good and so I know where the boundary line is and and you know that happens sometimes right and I think sometimes if we're really hungry to get the information out there to a wider audience and this this company had a quite it had a nice audience actually not much larger than mine but it had a nice audience and I wanted to get the information out there but in the end I said I I have to be able to own my own content yeah totally 100 percent and surprisingly, that happens, like, that you can't own your content is often far more, that happens more than you might think. Yeah, that's scary. Right, right. You know, nothing wrong with it, you know, but not what I would want. Yeah. So the book has been out a year. Yeah. A year. And did you have numbers that you wanted it to, like, you know what I mean, like, to get out there in the world? Because, you know, right, that'll give impact and things like that. Or did you not pay – do you not pay attention to that? I really don't pay attention to that. I mean, I think I, it would be different if writing were my primary source of income. Right. Uh, but it's really not. And also, especially, like, with the first book, I donated all of the proceeds to charity. So uh, I just kind of have ignored it. I couldn't tell you today even, like, how many copies I've sold. Got it. And are you still promoting the book? Like, do you go, still go out and give t- you know, give talks on it? or? Yeah, I definitely do. My, my brain is kind of starting to think through um, whatever the next book topic will be. So soon I'll probably start to transition to a different topic. But for right now, it's been super uh, public speaking focused. Well, I was just going to ask you, what what's your next book? Oh, yeah. Um, so it's funny. My next book I had thought was going to be about management, but then Camille Fournier wrote just about the best engineering management book on the planet. So, What book is that? It's called The Manager's Path. Everybody and uh, their managers should read <laughs> this book. Camille did a phenomenal job. Mm, got it. So when she wrote that, you were like, well, okay. Yeah, I read it, and I was like, written. well, 
yep, <laughs> that's I can't write a better book than that. So um, I'm not totally sure. I want it to be people focused. I want it to be like maybe healthy engineering organization focused. Oh, cool. And do you already have, uh, are you going to go back with a book apart or you have thought about a different publisher? I would love to. A book apart is really phenomenal. They've been so cool to work with. And so you've already been talking. I think it gets in the beginning before you even wrote the first book. You guys had already been multiple talking about. topics. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, it always it's hard, right? Like sometimes topics don't resonate with their audience, but they might with a different publisher. So it'll probably at the end of the day come down to whatever topic and just ends up feeling the the best. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. So, do you feel like writing a book, or books, I should say? has been, a, you know, what's been the best part about it is that it's a career asset that you get to clarify thoughts, that you get to help people. Like, what's the part that you enjoy the most? <laughs> um, this is going to sound silly, but for me, so much of my work is uh, intangible, you know, whether it's yeah. management or whether it's coding. Um, there's never like a physical product. And I started to realize, I studied street documentary photography also, in addition to my philosophy cool. degree. Oh um, and there was something about like developing film in dark rooms and like having a physical printed thing that you made that I really missed before I started writing books. So for me, the best part about writing books is having that physical thing you get to like hold and point at and like put on your shelf. Well, right. It's like you created something. Yeah. Something you can actually feel. Well, right. Cause I, I get that even, you know, like my work is mostly coaching. I coach people and I help them, you know, diagnose situations and move through problems. And it's wonderful to see them move. And that work is really wonderful. But what I love about my podcast is it's not a book on a shelf, but it's like a recording that other people can listen to. And I can point at and say, I created this thing. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I created it with somebody else. Our conversation today created a thing that feels tangible. So that makes complete sense to me. Cool. Yeah, totally. I had so much fun talking with you, Laura. I thank you so much for sharing your experiences in writing a book and books. <laughs> Truly um, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.